Welcome to Charlotte Readers Podcast, where books and writing topics are center stage and where authors give voice to the written words. Charlotte Readers Podcast Beyond 300 is about you, the listener. We want your feedback, opinions, recommendations, and questions. Email us or leave us a voice message and you might hear us mention you or play your message on the podcast. Just go to the homepage or contact page at charlottereaderspodcast.com and look for the links to email us or leave a voice message. It's easy to do. Let's have some fun together. For all things Charlotte Readers Podcast, check out charlottereaderspodcast.com. You can find a list of all episodes, an alphabetical guest list with links, detailed show notes for each episode, a community blog, and more. We'd love to have you visit. You can subscribe to Charlotte Readers Podcast wherever you'd like to get your podcasts. We're on all major podcast platforms. And the best part is, it's free. I'm Landis Wade, and on behalf of my co-host, Hannah LaRue and Sarah Archer, we thank you for listening. The Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. Listen to your city at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Hey, readers and writers, this is episode 315 of Charlotte Readers Podcast, Beyond 300. Uh, I'm here today with co-host Sarah Archer. Sarah, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing great, thanks. Uh, Co-host Hannah LaRue is on maternity leave still, but uh, hopefully she'll be back with us in the new year. Um, And uh, hey, we got a great line. It's just you and me today, Sarah. How about that? I know. It's kind of a rare occasion, actually. We've had some great co-hosts on lately. We have. We've had some great co-hosts. We've got a couple more coming here in November after this episode uh, and uh, also in December, so that'll be fun. Uh, But uh, for today, hey, we're going to try to gonna try to get through this without any help right <laughs> i think we can pull it off we'll right, see we'll, pull it off, yeah. well, let's, uh, let's tell our guest uh, i mean our listeners what we got uh, lined up today yeah we've got a really fun episode today and um, we've got an author feature with new york times bestselling author sophie cousins i had a really fun time interviewing her um, about her novel before i do which readers digest calls the perfect feel-good book kirker's reviews also says it's a charming and surprising take on a classic love triangle formula yeah, we've also got uh, Charlotte Litt's two-minute tip. Uh, the title uh, this episode is Using Point of View to Get Inside a Character's Head. And we're also going to be talking about a post to our community blog by Jill Brashear called How Serial Fiction Reignited My Spark, um, which is a good tie-in with Sophie Cousins because Jill is also a romance writer. And she talks about some of the formulaic parts of writing romance, why they work, and also how her experience of writing serial fiction reignited her spark for writing. Yeah, and... I don't know. Maybe we're both wearing red today. Is that is this for the romance? Some kind of subconscious thing. Yeah, <laughs> we're bringing Valentine's Day in early. <laughs> the Cupid episode. There you go. Uh, all right. Well, uh, do, do a little what's up, co-host, uh, before we get into our Act One with Sophie Cousins. Uh, what's up with you, Sarah? Um, so I think when is this coming out? November 15th. (laughs) I always have to think ahead a little bit. So, um, I'm actually going to New York next week. So as of when this comes out, I'll be, I'll have just gotten back into town. I'm going to be out there doing some kind of fun tourist stuff and seeing writer friends. And I think, uh, that, that next week after I get back, I've got some meetings scheduled locally with a few different writers in the area. Um, and I'm sure I'll be working on some, you know, script projects and fiction projects and all of that. Yeah, How about you? That's great. Well, since this is November 15th, uh, tonight I'm talking to the Charlotte Writers Club about all the marketing I did not know and uh, from the four books that I've launched. And uh, I'll offer tips about how to launch a book and the difference between an author platform and marketing books. So that'll be fun. And also uh, working on finalizing uh, new book covers for my three Christmas books. Been in the process of doing that, uh, kind of refreshing those after seven 
or eight years, and then uh, I'm continuing to work on pulling nonfiction uh, quotes from the Charlotte Readers podcast. Many, many episodes. We're going to put out a book next year, I think. Sarah, stay on me about that. You know, you know oh, I will. <laughs> Charlotte's podcast quote book. So that'll be fun. And uh, I'm also getting ready for a November 29th uh, class I'm teaching for Charlotte Lit uh, called Both Sides of the Mic. We're going to dive into the interview process uh, from both sides and talk about how authors can improve their presentation skills for their books and their writing. Um, you know, I've interviewed over 300 authors and I've been interviewed myself some and you pick up some things along the way. So we'll talk about that. And we'll also talk about book presentation skills generally like one's elevator pitch, uh, which, uh, by the way, uh, this is a nice little segue. You can do that on Charlotte Reader's podcast, right? Right, Sarah? Yeah, it, you can just do it on our SpeakPipe page. There's a link there on the website. It's pretty easy to do. Um, and it's this great, great skill, too, to kind of hone your elevator pitch and be ready to talk about your book because you never know when you're going to run into someone and they want to hear about your writing. So it's helpful to kind of have that ready to go. And this is a great chance to practice that out. We have an affiliation with Libro.fm because you can get audiobooks from them. And when you do, you support independent bookstores. If you'd like to sign up with them for your audiobooks, use the promo code Charlotte Reader and claim your free audiobook. All right, we're here in Act One uh, with an author feature, Sophie Cousins. The name of the book is Before I Do. Um, Sarah, I'll let you do a little synopsis. I'll just introduce briefly. She's a UK author, New York Times bestselling novelist uh, who worked as a TV producer in London for more than 12 years, now lives with her family on the island of Jersey, one of the Channel Islands. That sounds pretty cool. Yeah. Located off the north coast of France, and uh, she balances her writing career with taking care of her two small children, and she says longs for the day when she might have a Dachshund and a writing shed of her own. Uh, <laughs> she really has uh, sort of taken hold of the uh, romance genre as the queen of I'm it's fun queen of misconnections with <laughs> with her <laughs> charming and hilarious novels, and uh, her New York Times bestselling novel this time next year, and her critically acclaimed rom com just have haven't met you yet. Uh, are out there, and her debut novel was a Good Morning America's book club selection, and her book's been praised uh, nationwide by all kind of outlets. Uh, so yeah, we're glad to have her on the podcast. Uh, plus, it's great to have the accent too, right, sir? I know it just makes everything sound better, <laughs> <laughs> and that's one thing that's fun about her books too is having that UK setting. I think just adds a little bit of extra something. It's hard to put your finger on, but it's a nice kind of charming touch. Um, and this book, before I do, is a really fun read. It's about this sort of opposites attract couple who are about to get married. But then um, the day before the wedding, the main character, Audrey, her uh, sort of one who got away, this guy she had a brief connection with years ago shows up and is, is part of the wedding party. Um, and so she's kind of deciding what she wants to do about that relationship. And the book goes back and forth structurally between different parts of her life and kind of going between the day leading up to the wedding and, and earlier parts of her life leading up to that. Um, and it's a really fun rom-com. It's, it's nice kind of like escapist read on the surface level, but also digs into some deeper questions about um, sort of fate versus free will and the choices that we make and even gets into ideas about like the multiverse and <laughs> are there other versions of us out there somewhere in the universe. So it's a really fun book. Um, and I had a great time talking with Sophie and, um, it's also funny. She has a nice sense of humor, which yeah. is always a plus. That's great. And library journal says readers will cheer Audriona. She disentangles herself from the, what might have been love triangle cousins just haven't met you yet offers up a chaste heartwarming romance. 
Really? A chaste heartwarming romance? Yeah, I would say that's fair. Okay. It's, it's not it's not too chaste. It's a little bit fun. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But well, it's British, little, let's put it that way. You have a little non-chasteness in this stuff. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. That's actually something we talked about a little bit in the interview was um, kind of the differences between U.S. and U.K. audiences for okay. romance and women's fiction. And so we got into that a little bit, which is fun. Right. Well, let's, let's get into it now. Sophie, thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to have you on the show and to talk about Before I Do. Oh, thanks for having me on. It's great to be here. So um, one thing that I really loved about this book is in some ways it almost felt to me like a kind of antidote or counter argument to a lot of what you see in romance books and movies. It is very deeply romantic, but it also offers um, kind of a, a different view on certain romantic tropes and like meet cutes and themes of fate and chemistry and things like that. And I'm wondering, is that something that you intentionally set out to write with this? Or did you kind of find that element of it as you developed the story? Yeah, so I think I did. I think with my first book, um, This Time Next Year, it's very much about fate mm -hmm. and love written in the stars. And it kind of fits a lot of romantic tropes. And I think for me as an author, just feeling like I have somewhere new to go with a story and I have something kind of maybe slightly like a new, a new direction or, or just a play on like traditional tropes. Um, I think a lot of romance books as well, you often have readers sort of say, you know, I loved it, but I kind of knew exactly where it was going from the get go. And so with this, I really wanted to put the reader in the situation that Audrey finds herself, which is really really not knowing, um, being torn between the man from her present and the man from her past. And yeah, some readers have really said like, you know, until two thirds of the way through, they didn't know which way it was going to go. And I love that. That's what I wanted to do. Um, and yeah, and also in terms of just an answer to, um, you know, some people who read this time next year said, oh, you know, I haven't met my person yet. And then I read your book all about love being written in the stars. And it really gave me hope that I just have to wait. Mm. And that gave me like a lot of food for thought about what is the right way to look at love is it something that you know you should just be waiting for for destiny to to kind of play its role or is it something you have to have more of an active role in um and these are all questions that really interest me that i talk about with my friends a lot and so that's what i wanted to kind of capture in this novel really yeah and i think you you did that very successfully and those are um certainly ideas that are worth exploring. And I think a lot of romance books don't necessarily go that far with them or as far as they could. So I love that you did that. Um, and, and it's funny to me that you you talk about how you wanted readers to really feel like they don't know until partway through the book how it's going to end, because it's true. It, you can kind of identify the patterns in a lot of these stories. Um, sometimes, you know, watching movies or reading books, it feels like every version of romantic storyline has been done. <laughs> every kind of meet cute, every kind of relationship. And it starts to feel like what else is there that could be new? And I think you really did create a fresh love triangle that felt different. Um, do you ever feel when you're coming up with ideas like it's, it's hard to find a new storyline idea? Is that ever a struggle for you? Yeah, def oh, definitely. Because I think, um, you know, when I first wrote my uh, debut this time next year, I was quite unaware of lots of the kind of romance tropes, lots of the expectations, lots of 
what had been before. Um, my main inspiration was probably I grew up watching a lot of rom-com films in the 90s and um, early 2000s. And I think that my writing just came out of me kind of trying to write my own version of one of those, but in book form. And I think now kind of I'm in this area, I've read a lot more widely, uh, which is great. I really enjoy reading those books, but it's also made me very aware of how much has been done and how much has been done well. So it's just that sort of question about what, you know, I, I think that as a writer, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to fit it. Everyone knows that a rom-com needs to have a happy ending. That's, you know, you're, you're, you're working within various confines, but how can you make it slightly different? How can you bring something new to the table? Mm. Um, and that is definitely a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. And making it, yeah, making it feel fresh and making it feel realistic. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the things, even though, I mean, it's a joke that I say that really, because the, the situation that poor Audrey, my heroine has put in where, you know, she's about to, marry her long-term boyfriend, Josh, who she's got a really good relationship with. And then the night before her wedding, um, the one that got away, you know, the man she's always wondered about shows up at the rehearsal dinner. And this kind of throws her for a loop um, in terms of getting cold feet about the wedding and questioning whether the universe is trying to tell her something about what, what she should be doing. And everything that can go wrong with the wedding does go wrong. So in terms of being realistically likely to happen obviously this is quite an extreme scenario I've put Audrey mm. in but I hope that the way she responds and the kind of conversations that her family and friends are having with her with her are quite realistic and again the dilemmas you know I, I like to paint it there's never a kind of a good guy and a bad guy and you reveal the you know the dastardly bad guy reveals his his you know horrible <laughs> secret I, I think actually real life is usually like you know choosing between two the, the two gray areas not the black and the mm. white um and that makes it all the harder i think you know um and i love even in i, I love you know game of thrones i think the reason game of thrones is so good is because so many of those characters are not goodies or baddies they're just you know deeply complex and have light and shade in 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 abundance um, and those are the kind of stories that I like to watch and read. Yeah, yeah. And I definitely felt that here too with Audrey and her two love interests and her family, even her relationship with her mother is very complex. Um, you get a lot of those gray areas. And I think that really brings it to life. And it, it's true. It is. It's kind of an outsized situation she finds herself in in terms of the particulars of it. But the heart of it, that kind of decision that she's having to make about who she wants to spend her life with is something that most of us have to decide at some point. So it's very relatable. Um and I wanted to delve a little bit more into some of those themes of the book. This kind of touches on what, what you were mentioning about how readers reacted to your first book and that giving you some food for thought. Um, but there was a quote I pulled out that one of your characters says, he makes a, a pretty bold statement. He says, I don't like this narrative that's crept into books and films, this idea that you're not worthy of love until you have your life sorted out. That you need to be sure in your career, completely mentally stable and happy before you can be loved. Um, and I think there's a lot of truth to what he's saying there. And I was wondering if there are ideas about romance and relationships that you see being put forth in movies and films, um, maybe like in those rom-coms you watched growing up, that sort of thing that you don't necessarily agree with. I think it's just interesting. The more, again, the more I learn about sort of um, story and formula and sort of how, I mean, and I don't say that in a bad way. I mean, often films or books that fulfill it, that, that fit a certain criteria or formula is because they work mm -hmm. because they're, like there is a, there is a like real key to making a story work and the drive and the kind of pacing of it and the ups and the downs but 
in lots of stories, especially about love, it, you know, there's, there's, there'll be a secondary strand going on where, say, the female protagonist is trying to come to terms with something in her own life, perhaps kind of career or family or something she has to overcome by the end of the novel besides the love interest. And it's oft, it often happens that, um, you know, all of that will be resolved in parallel to the love story. And so by the end, you feel like, oh, right, she's now got the great job and she's now sorted out these issues. And now she's kind of ready in, a, in the right place to, to be in love and to embrace love. And while that makes for a happy resolve, it also is perhaps a little dangerous because it's sort of implying that you need to be completely sorted and, you know, stable and kind of worthy of love in order to have um, a good, healthy relationship. And I think I got to this, that stage in the book of writing mine. I just thought, you know, Audrey doesn't need to be sorted and know her career and know where she's going to be worthy of love. Nobody does. You know, everyone is deserving of love. And I mean, obviously, not all stories have this, but it's just something that I had really noticed um, that you see this kind of transformation of a character in internally or in other areas of life and that leads her towards a happy ending and you know well often hurdles need to be over, be overcome I, I think that they're not mutually exclusive yeah I think that's so true I mean if you if you wait to be perfect on your own before you can be with someone then you're going to be waiting a long time <laughs> and yeah. I like that bit of messiness <laughs> I think it makes it very real um, and you, you mentioned Audrey's kind of career here and how a lot of times in romances and rom-coms that's a secondary story thread is the career for the the main character um, and Audrey has a lot of different jobs she, she does over the years but her real passion is astronomy and I was curious how you came to that as part of her character well yeah that was interesting as well because I knew one thing I wanted often when you're writing characters you sort of like the way all of us identify you know you meet someone you're like oh what do you mm -hmm. do and people put a lot of um kind of what's the word people put, put, a, put a lot on you know what jobs people have as a way of identifying who they are what's important in their life and you know, I think that can, again, be quite dangerous because if you love what you do and it's your passion and it's very much part of who you are, then fine. But for some people, their career doesn't define them. Um, and for some people, they don't necessarily have a career that they're set on for life. They might be moving around a bit. And, you know, often a character is introduced as, you know, this is their job, this is their passion, this is who they are. And so I wanted to write in Audrey, someone who didn't have it all worked out yet. You know, she's moved around, she's changed courses twice at university. She's gone from job to job. Like, you know, she's been a dog walker, a photographer, worked in, ca in cafes, all sorts. And she hasn't really found her, her kind of calling in life. And I think that that is interesting for her because she's comparing herself to all of her friends who she feels are, you know, racing up their respective career ladders and they know where they're going and she really doesn't have a clue yet mm -hmm. um but also how that kind of makes her feel in sort of social situations or meeting guys and it, it's it's an internal insecurity more so than anyone else feeling that she is you know doesn't have a clear identity um but having written this person who didn't really have a fixed kind of job or career um, I then was trying to, you know, trying to, trying to think, right, well, what is she interested in? What does she love? And, and astronomy was something 
that I didn't know anything about actually when I started writing the book, but I've always been interested in it. And so this is a hobby that she and her dad had you know, done when she was young. And it's kind of always stuck with her that however rootless she feels, she always looks to the stars for kind of that stability and grounding and the stories that her father told her as a child. So I ended up actually just doing quite a bit of research into astronomy and putting little bits of nuggets about it into the book and and now I'm really quite interested in it now I look up at the sky at night and I know where the plow is and I know um where the north star is and I kind of feel like my character taught me a little bit about her passion in a way weird as that sounds yeah that's so cool (laughs) and that was actually kind of like a nice little side benefit through the book was these kind of interesting factoids about the stars and the galaxies and all that stuff. Um, I loved reading that part. So (laughs) I I really enjoyed that too. And I can imagine the research must have been pretty interesting for it. Um, One of the other things that I really found fascinating about this book was the structure. It it follows a very complex story structure. A lot of it takes place over the course of Audrey's wedding day. um, But then you also go back in time and, and take us through a lot of the years of her life leading up to the wedding. And it jumps around in time a lot. What was that like to write that kind of structure? So, I mean, in all my books, I'm always like a big central question I'm always interested in is kind of what leads us to make the decisions we make, what leads us to have certain hang ups and, you know, trauma that sort of sits with us, I suppose. And so background and family and formative experiences is very interesting to me. So it kind of naturally developed that this novel was going to be on multiple timelines because as you say on one strand you have the sort of present day where she's dealing with this looming wedding that's about to happen and whether she should be going through with it and then it jumps back to sort of 10 years before I do five years before I do and we see where she met Fred who's the guy that she had this amazing day with and we go back to where she met Josh who she initially doesn't even remember meeting Mm -hmm. because she made such a poor impression um, and also to some of her sort of childhood um, experiences her mother Vivian had been married five times and sort of how much that witnessing her mother's experience of marriage and love has sort of weighed into her own romantic ideas or or issues um, and so I think it had to have this format form, format but it was very hard to write because just trying to weave in the right kind of flashbacks at the right time and I always feel I love reading books like this but you know you never want to feel like you've got to a chapter in the past and you you're desperate to get back to the action in the present it's got it all kind of knit together in perfect sequence and actually in the editing process I took the entire thing apart and put it back together in a a different order entirely so it did just add a slightly challenging dynamic to writing it but I hope I hope the final product was kind of worth all that unpicking and picking back yeah it really was seamless even though you're jumping around so much um and I think one thing that I really liked was how you kind of connected things with that transition um you would end one section and there would be something that would be almost like in movies where they do like a match cut and there's an image that matches you from one scene to the next glad you noticed that that did I did put a lot of time into the match (laughs) they worked (laughs) they worked very well um and so we obviously a lot of the story takes place over Audrey's wedding day and she encounters all sorts of wedding day mishaps and disasters I don't want to give things away for the audience but there's a falling bat there's all sorts of stuff that happens (laughs) Um, how did you come up with these kind of bad omens and disasters that she goes through were any of them inspired by real life they weren't but it's funny because I I got married met various many years ago and it, it is a stressful time even if nothing goes wrong your wedding day you know you've spent money on it you've all your friends and family are there you've 
you've planned everything to a T. I am not a highly anxious, highly stressed person by any means. And I found myself on my wedding day and the night before my wedding being very kind of stressy because I was like, oh my God, what if it rains? What if we don't have umbrellas? What if, you know, and, uh, you know, definitely some of my friends had slightly taught me down, like, okay, you're supposed to be enjoying this, Sophie. Like, don't worry about the details. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter. And that's even when really nothing went wrong, except that it was a really, really hot day and everyone was melting. But it did get me to thinking, you know, what, catalogue of things that could happen and with Audrey it's it's nothing kind of you know massive at the beginning it's just sort of these little things that kind of almost like in a horror film where you have those little incidences mm -hmm. that you know that, that kind of freak you out a little bit it's like it's like that you know it's the end of first scene a kind of a dead bat dies in the rafters during the rehearsal and falls on the floor of the church and yeah the, her grandmother to be sort of says oh that's a that's a bad omen and for someone already feeling a little bit cold feety what does that do to your mindset to have to have someone say oh that's a bad omen you know this is a bad sign this is like you know because I, I I'm also interested in superstition and just is and generally sort of how that plays into people's mindsets and behavior so it was quite fun just thinking about the little eerie eerie things really that um unsettle Audrey yeah and they're they're great fun to read and a lot of them are kind of comical in some way but also if that's your wedding day and those things are happening to you I can imagine it would freak you out for sure yeah. <laughs> um so I did have a few more questions I wanted to ask but first I would love to have you read us a little bit of the book if you have a scene that you'd like to share yeah so this is a good one and in, in, in terms of the central theme being about kind of I think, you know, even though it's obviously a heightened scenario that Audrey finds herself in, this sense of wondering about the one that got away, I think is something quite universal. So here, um, Audrey and her maid of honor, Clara, are chatting in the bridal suite after they have just um, met Fred, who's turned up at the rehearsal dinner. Look, it's just you and me now, said Clara, as they sat drinking vodka on the bridal suite bed. I can't gauge if this is you having standard pre-wedding jitters or if you are genuinely freaking out. Audrey tied, toyed with the idea of telling Clara the true extent of her fears. She had told Clara about her one amazing day with Fred, shared her frustration about his standing her up and then never calling, but she had not told Clara that she had fallen in love with Fred that day, that she had never felt so instantly seen and understood by another human being, that he had been her first love, short as their acquaintance had been. She was embarrassed. It sounded childish and naive. Who believed in love at first sight? But Audrey felt it and her heart had not forgotten. Then she thought about the day he'd stood her up and realised her heart had not forgotten that part either or what had come afterwards. One of the best and worst weekends of her life. Do you ever think about Lucas? Audrey asked, deflecting the question. Lucas, ha! Clara exhaled a loud puff of air. Lucas had been Clara's what-if guy. They dated for a month in their early 20s after meeting at a music festival. He was wild and spontaneous. He'd taken her skydiving on their first date. Clara had fallen in love with him and pretty much moved into his flat after three days. But when Lucas had inherited a farm in New Zealand and decided he wanted to move there, they'd broken up and that was the end of it. You mean, do I always wonder what might have happened if he hadn't moved away? Do I still Instagram stalk him to see pictures of his ridiculously beautiful family sitting around on their farm in matching fair isle sweaters, shearing sheep like they're in some kind of sexy wool catalogue? Do I still think about the fact that Lucas was probably the best sex I'll ever have and how I could have picked up my life and followed him could have been Mrs. Wool catalogue? Yes, Audrey said slowly, her eyes wide. Of course I do. But look, everyone has a Lucas, a fantasy of another life. 
Would our relationship have actually worked in the long term? Would his spontaneous, hey, let's drop everything and go kayaking this morning, attitude to life, have started to get annoying after a while? Probably. Would I have argued with him the same way I argue with Jay about who forgot to pack Barbar and BB in the girl's overnight bag, who left the microwave plate covered in bean juice? Undoubtedly. Would I have been happy living in a sexy wool, ca wool catalogue aesthetic in New Zealand, away from all my friends, my family and my job? Hell no. Look, it's human nature to wonder what might have been. It doesn't mean he's the person you were supposed to be with. So yeah, that's a little good, a good little setup of the central kind of drama. Yeah, yeah, that gets at so many of the themes there. Um, and I love the sexy wool catalog family too. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone knows that family. Oh, for sure. I could picture them as soon as I read that. <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, so in addition to talking about like fate and chance and the one who got away, one of the themes that you um, are kind of touch points for the characters in their conversations is the idea of multiverses and the theory that maybe there's, you know, other universes or another universe out there. Maybe there are other versions of us living out there. Um, and so I'm, I'm curious, say there is a real multiverse and there's another Sophie out there somewhere living an alternate life. What would you like to imagine her doing? I just love the concept of multiverses. It's something, yeah, it's something that I, it, I just find it that's a, a very interesting spot between. I know some t scientists think it's almost not science because we can never actually prove it either way. So it's more of it's more of a philosophy. But if you go down this kind of wormhole of logic, that if the universe is infinite, or if there are infinite multi multi unit multiple universes, then by logic there will be infinite versions of someone exactly like you living out an almost identical version of everything that could have ever happened in your life. So all of these sliding doors questions we might have about our life will be happening somewhere out there in the multiverse. And I just find that completely mm. fascinating, though probably logically impossible. Um, but yeah, if I, I would just love to see the, 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 the worlds that, where I made slightly different decisions, I suppose, in terms of I don't know, going to going to live in different countries, going to different university, marrying a different person, like choosing a different job. Um, and again, seeing how much that would change your personality and sort of who you ended up becoming as well. Because I don't really, I don't know if I do believe that things are all sort of meant to be or set in stone. I think there's a million lives we could have lived um, for better or worse. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's fascinating. And it's such an interesting thought experiment too, just about the choices you make and how they impact your life. Um, who knows if it's real science, but I think it's it's fun to think about for sure. It is. And also I think that I've seen this as well. Like I think that who people are with really does affect um, like your personality and your interests. Like I have a friend who, you know, they were never particularly into like extreme sport before and then they dated someone who was really into extreme sport and then they became into extreme sport and that was like became a little bit of who mm. they are and I, there's, I think there's definitely if you're spending all your time with one person and they have a really strong passion or interest like it often can wash off on you or affect you know if they're really into music and going to festivals or and like there's all these other versions of myself that I feel will never be explored you know like if I went out with someone who was a professional musician and was teaching me all about music I don't know anything about music I'm hopeless at music and maybe that's a big hole in my life that I've never kind of 
been in I've never I've never explored that multiverse version of myself yeah that's so true and and at the end of this book without giving away the actual ending you almost feel like you can imagine another version where she ends up with the person who she doesn't actually end up with in the book and where would that have taken her and what would their lives together have been like so actually in my original draft I had an epilogue where I had the multiverse version of her with the other guy um, but we decided that it was too, you couldn't really cheat the rom-com and have yeah. both endings. Oh, I'm curious to read that. <laughs> if you ever decide to release it as like a little standalone, I think that would be fun. <laughs> um, so a little bit of a different kind of topic. Um, I, I know obviously this is set in the UK. Um, you've published widely. I'm here interviewing you in the US and I'm sure you have a lot of readers here. Have you noticed any differences between your readerships in the UK and the US or between the romance markets kind of more generally in those places? Um, so I find the US actually, it's interesting. I think I think there is generally quite a big market for more steamy romance <laughs> novels in the US, I would say, as in, I think they're all marketed quite, like my covers, which are quite kind of bright and cartoony. I know there's a lot of authors in the same space who their covers might look quite similar, but they're much steamier. And I do find that quite difficult in the States because sometimes reviewers don't unless they know my writing and my books that have gone before, you know, my books are quite kind of closed door. Um, and so definitely I've had some reviewers kind of go, oh, I really like this, but there was like no steam. And, you know, so I think it's it's, it's hard with expectation, whereas I think in the UK generally rom-coms tend to be less steamier. This is me completely just like, in my experience, sure. what I've kind of gleaned. Um, but then I also, what I love about the States actually, especially when I'm interviewed by people, um, there's sort of, people take like even this like commercial women's fiction which is what I say say I write Mm -hmm. people like take it quite a bit more seriously like there's a there's a kind of reverence for the writing process and for the themes and kind of what you're trying to say whereas I find in the UK it's a bit more like oh you've just written this like chick lit yeah like it's all kind of silly and happy I don't know I feel like there's this there's this culture of kind of reverence for the writing process I suppose in the US which as a writer I really like. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think that's one of the things that I like about this book and a lot of books in this kind of commercial women's fiction, you know, genre is that they can work on both levels. You know, if you want just a fun beach read, and you just want to kind of escape and have that rom com feeling, you can read this book and it reads that way. But if you also want to dig into more of the kind of philosophical underpinnings and thinking about what it really means about relationships and where we go in life and, um, you know, or attacking it from like the artistic writerly angle, like how do you write something with all these timelines and <laughs> not lose your mind? <laughs> I think it works on all those levels. So that that was really fascinating to me in reading this. Um, yeah, and I mean, I think as as a writer, that's very much what I'm setting out to achieve is something that's something that's easy to read, but that I think that you will think about when you shut the last page. Mm-hmm. And you know, easy to read definitely doesn't mean easy to write. <laughs> like, oh, for sure. <laughs> even getting something like that like you know that that you can just pick up and and read in a couple of days potentially um is is a is a is a process obviously to put on paper so yeah I I love I love speaking to people who sort of want to want to drill down into some of the themes and ideas and sort of how it got Mm -hmm. there so yeah as a geeky writer it's great for me yeah, yeah. Well, and talking about your process too, I'd love to hear just a little bit about kind of the nuts and bolts of your writing process. I always like hearing with other writers, you know, when and where do you write? Do you use a laptop or a notebook? Like, what does a typical writing session look like for you? 
So I tend to, I have my desk in my bedroom. I used to ha- work on the, around the edges of my job. So I wrote this time next year kind of in the evening after my day job and after I put my children to bed. And now I'm lucky enough to be a full-time writer, which is amazing. Um, but it does mean I have a lot more procrastination time as well as writing time. Uh, but I tend to try and yeah be at my desk and do sort of a full day, be it writing or kind of publicity stuff or short stories or promotion or all sorts of stuff around the edges that comes from writing now um and then when I feel like I'm being a hermit and I haven't seen other humans for too long I'll take my laptop and go and write in a cafe uh, and treat myself to a a nice coffee so that's like the highlight of my week (laughs) um but it's a strange it's a strange job for me because I'm quite an extrovert person and I used to work in tv with a team of you know big team of people and it was very very collaborative process making tv and now i find myself you know apart from doing interviews like this like the majority of my day is just me alone at my desk working out problems and tapping away um so i don't know if it really suits me but (laughs) this is what i'm doing now Yeah, well, I think that's so true. You know, as a writer, if you want to be a total hermit, you can be a total hermit. So you do have to kind of push yourself to get out there. And whether it's just going to a coffee shop and being around other human beings or meeting other writers, getting feedback on your work, building that community, I think is huge. Um, And I can imagine, especially for someone who's naturally an extrovert, that might be kind of challenging. Yeah. And it's also, I think, like at the stage that I'm writing, at the stage, like, so for example, in book four, I am kind of really deep in the process of kind of working out the first draft of like what is this about and like who are these characters and what they want and it's almost like at that stage that I really want to talk to people about it because I want I want to work through my ideas with by speaking that's that's often how I kind of problem solve and so it's almost frustrating that by the time I have these conversations like we're having now Mm -hmm. where I'm like deep diving into like the thing it's like the book is done and like I can't change anything and it's kind of so it's it's just an interesting process because there's big this big delay on kind of you know doing publicity and talking about the book you've written and it's almost like I want to talk to everyone about it when I while I'm writing Mm -hmm. it so I can can kind of problem solve well just think that in the multiverse there are other versions of you writing other versions of the book <laughs> so every version that's you want to write is, is out there somewhere <laughs> yes that's so true i know exactly every possible ending is out there happening yeah. now. <laughs> <laughs> well i have uh, one last question i want to ask for you before we go um if you could go back in time and give your your younger writing self a piece of advice um, for your writing career what would you like to tell yourself So I think the best advice would, I think when I was younger, I always felt this sense of, I always wanted to be a writer. I always aspired to write. And I went through periods of time when I wrote more or wrote less. And I think I had this feeling that I was always questioning, oh, do I have what it takes? Am I good enough? Am I deluding myself to think that, you know, I'm a writer? And I think that I would say writing is a bit like kind of working out. You know, you don't get better. Like you're not, you you don't either like have the ability or not. You have to practice, you have to get better. It's like definitely a kind of, there was progress to be made. So I think rather than questioning, am I a writer? Am I good enough to be a writer? I think my advice would just be keep writing, keep improving, keep honing, keep reading. Um, And, you know, I'm definitely a much better writer today than I was three years ago when I started properly writing you know every day um so I think that that self-doubt and that sort of um yeah that that question of whether I was good enough it would just be keep working keep trying keep writing and see what happens 
Yes, <laughs> that's such great advice <laughs> that can never be said enough, I think. If anyone aspiring to be a writer, I just, yeah, I think that that sense of kind of just just practicing and, and mm. writing however little or much and reading more, you know, you, you all, everyone can improve at whatever they're doing. And it's not, you know, it's not a sense of either being good enough or not being good enough. You know, you can, you can always get better at whatever you're doing. Yeah. We, we hear that from so many different writers, I think in different versions of that idea on the show. Um, and it's kind of reassuring in a way to hear from even people who are successful and published and making a living as writers that they're still working, they're still practicing, they still feel like they're learning um, yeah, and just keep reading and writing. I think that's amazing advice. Thank you so much for being here with us and for sharing your beautiful book. I really loved reading it and I love talking with you about it and I can't wait to read the next one. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's been a pleasure. If you like what we're doing and would like to help us defray the costs of this podcast, please consider becoming one of our patrons through the Patreon website. For as little as $5 a month, say a coffee or a happy hour drink, you can help us out, and in return, we have a library of exclusive episodes, over 120, that you can access through the Patreon website. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Charlotte Weir's podcast and join up. You can cancel any time, by the way, and we thank you in advance for whatever you decide to contribute. All right, uh, great interview there with uh, Sophie Cousins. Well done, Sarah. And uh, we're now into Act 2, which is time for some book recommendations. And uh, Sarah, you're going to... Interestingly, the one you selected to, to do here is also one that Parker Books uh, suggested to me, which I recently purchased yeah. for my wife, Janet. So tell us about Demon Copperhead. Oh, nice. Yeah. So Demon Copperhead is by Barbara Kingsolver. Um, I've been listening to it on Libro.fm, which is great. It's got a good narrator. Um, and I believe it's supposed to be sort of her take on David Copperfield, like a sort of modern retelling of David Copperfield set in the American South um, around the Appalachians. And the the main character, Demon Copperhead, I think his real name is Damon, but Demon is sort of his nickname that he goes by. <laughs> um, and it starts when he's, it starts, you know, literally when he's born um, in his earliest years and you, you follow him up through his childhood. And he has this sort of rough and tumble upbringing. He's in and out of foster care. Um, he meets a lot of really interesting colorful characters who he crosses paths with and he himself is you know a fun and compelling character he has a really strong character voice that he kind of tells the story in um, and it's it's an entertaining story but it also gets into a lot of more issues of modern life with um, kind of a political bent to it in some ways and talking about the healthcare system and opioid addiction and touching on uh, some darker topics like that too um, I'm I think a little bit about halfway through it right now, so I'm still listening to it. Um, but it's it's a fun read, and it's a great character story. All right. Well, uh, with all my travels and all the recording I've been doing, I hadn't quite caught up with my reading as much as I'd like to, but I have been by Parker Books, and I've gotten some recommendations. And one I got was uh, from Hallie Gomez. She recommended Lessons in Chemistry. It's by New York Times bestselling novelist uh, Bonnie Garmus. Uh, it, uh, it's a Good Morning America book club pick, uh, and uh, – it involves uh, Elizabeth Zott, a formidable, unapologetic, inspiring scientist in the 1960s California whose career takes a detour when she becomes the unlikely star of a beloved TV cooking show in this novel that uh, the New York Times book review says is irresistible, satisfying, and full of fuel. Reminds you that change takes time and always requires heat. Uh, so that sounds kind of fun. It's uh, apparently chemist Elizabeth Zott is not your average woman. Um uh, but like science, her life is unpredictable. And uh, they say it's laugh out loud funny and uh, shrewdly observant. So 
I don't know. It sounds pretty good. So. Yeah, I've been seeing that one everywhere. I've heard a lot of people people recommend it, so it sounds like it's a good one to check out. Her, her unusual approach to cooking combined one tablespoon of acidic acid with a pinch of sodium chloride proves revolutionary, apparently. Hmm. <laughs> but as the following uh, grows, not everyone's happy because it turns out Elizabeth Sott isn't just teaching women to cook. She's daring them to change the status quo. How about that? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. All right. So uh, well, let's hear what uh, Mark West uh, from Story Charlotte blog has for us this week. Hello. This is Mark West with the Story Charlotte blog. My recommendation today is a novel called Poster Girls by the Charlotte writer Meredith Ritchie. My recommendation relates to Veterans Day, which we just recently observed. When we think of Veterans Day, we think of the people who serve in the military, but I think we should also recognize and celebrate the contributions of people who serve on what's sometimes called the home front. And that's exactly what Meredith Ritchie does in Poster Girls. Poster Girls is a historical novel set in Charlotte during World War II. During World War II, the name Rosie the Riveter was often used when referring to the women who played such a crucial role in the production of war-related materials. Norman Rockwell created an iconic image of Rosie the Riveter that ran on the cover of the Saturday Evening Post in 1943 and then was reproduced as a popular poster. This image of Rosie the Riveter serves as a touchstone for Meredith Ritchie's Poster Girls, a historical novel that deals with the women who worked at Charlotte's Shell Plant where they manufactured ammunition for the war effort. Meredith tells the story from the perspectives of two military wives, one black and the other white, who both find employment at the shell plant. The novel delves into the nature of life on the home front, but it's also the story about an unlikely friendship. This is a great novel that tells us a side of Charlotte history that's been neglected for too long. I highly recommend Meredith Ritchie's Poster Girls. Yeah, we had, uh, I had Meredith uh, on the podcast uh, back in the spring, uh, and uh, she went through, I think, the Charlotte Authors Lab. And, uh, yeah, did, yeah. Did, uh, it's, it's, it's a great novel, uh, worth, worth the read. It's, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's a really fun book. Um, it's, it's good if you like historical fiction. It's, it's got a nice little bit of local Charlotte history, too. And it's also just kind of a great character story about these two friends. Um, I, I really enjoyed reading it. Yeah. All right, well, let's check in with Alyssa at That's Novel Books and see what she's recommending. Hi, everyone. This is Alyssa with That's Novel Books. We're a used bookstore in Camp North End. And this week, I have a fun book recommendation for you. Maybe fun's not the exact word I should use. The book is called The Invisible Summer of Juniper Jones by Davin McQueen. And this is the type of book that will make you ugly cry a little bit. Um, It's historical fiction uh, about a young boy and a girl um, kind of battling race in the South in the 60s. And uh, it gets a little intense, but it is a beautiful, 
heartbreaking story. I think it's one that really stays with you after you read it. So I recommend it to a lot of folks who are looking for a good book, particularly over audio. That's how I listened to this one, and I really enjoyed it. All right, another good recommendation. And uh, I'll just uh, remind our listeners that, uh, you know, this uh, Beyond 300 series is about uh, books and writing topics coming together. So if you've got a book recommendation that you'd like to make, uh, they should go where, Sarah? They can go to our website. Um, there's a, a link to the SpeakPipe page there, and it's super easy. You can just drop in um, a little bit of a recording about the book. You can also go through any of our social media channels or through the contact form on our website and drop us a note that way too. And we try to look through those and add the recommendations into the show. Um, so definitely give us your, your thoughts and your recommendations and feedback. We always love that. Yeah, so if you love to write more than talk, you can send us an email or do it on social media. Uh, but if you... If you want to take a chance there and speak pipe yourself onto the podcast, you can do that too. So, yeah, <laughs> uh, we're, we're going to be right back with uh, some community and listener engagement and a uh, 30 second elevator pitch in Charlotte's two minute tip right after this. If you are an author who would like to be featured on the show, check out our submission process on the contact page of charlottemeterspodcast.com. Please understand that given the number of submissions we receive, we can't respond to every submission or feature everyone who submits, but with the Beyond 300 format, we are featuring more authors in many different ways. You might be interviewed or provide us some audio content for us to play, or participate in an author or marketing talk, or get a shout out for your publication. One way to be sure to get a mention on the show is to submit a 750 word or less blog post to our community blog on a writing or marketing topic. If it's accepted, we may have you on to discuss the content. Just go to charlottereaderspodcast.com and look for the community blog for details. All right, and uh, that little message there is a good uh, reminder here. If you're an author uh, and you do have uh, something to talk about related to your experience of writing, uh, hey, write about it, 750 words or less. We're uh, we're really having fun, sir, aren't we, with uh, with those blog posts talking yeah. about Yeah, People have been coming up with some really great topics about, um, you know, the the practice of writing, the craft of it, and also sort of their experiences writing and um, the kind of mental and psychological aspects of being a writer, how they structure their writing lives. It's it's really fun to see different perspectives from different writers on all these topics. Yeah, because, you know, we are a podcast where we want to help and support writers and uh, also provide reading recommendations to readers. Uh, but, you know, if you pull the curtain back, we're also just trying to you know, learn all the secrets that other writers share mm-hmm. with us, right, Sarah? Yeah. Just trying to steal those secrets exactly. as much as we can. <laughs> <laughs> so share them so we can steal them, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and others can steal them too. Uh, because after all, you know, great artists steal from other artists, right? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Only good artists borrow, right? Uh, all right, well, a little writing community news here. Um, if you Another plug for writers, if you're uh, if you want to enter a contest, you can do that with the Charlotte Writers Club. Here's, here's uh, Dave Collins to tell us about that. This is Dave Collins, president of the Charlotte Writers Club, here to let you know that the club's nonfiction contest opened on October 18th and will remain open until January 3rd. We would love to see an entry from you. What comes to mind when most people think nonfiction is the personal essay, a reflective, sometimes lyrical look at a subject of the writer's choosing. If that's the direction you'd like to go, we're good with that. But nonfiction may be more than any other genre, open stores that look in so many directions. Think biography and autobiography, memoir, travel writing, 
food writing, writing about spirituality, or photography, or art, or gardening. The list just goes on and on. It's all about life and reflecting on life. We have a dynamite judge lined up to read your entry. Nancy McCabe, author of seven nonfiction books, including Meeting Sophie, a memoir of adoption, From Little Houses to Little Women, Revisiting a Literary Childhood, and Can This Marriage Be Saved? You can submit your entry by visiting our website at charlottewritersclub.org and clicking on the contest button. Cash prizes, of course, and one of them could be coming your way. A nice pitch there, Dave. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they so. always do a, a good job with their contest, the Charlotte Writers Club. They really, I think, try to celebrate and promote the winners and let them read at their meetings and that kind of thing. So it's a great opportunity to get your work out there. Yeah, and you don't have to be from Charlotte to uh, enter the contest. You can mm-hmm. enter it's uh, through your submittable account. Uh, and also, we got an opportunity uh, for poets and uh, Chris Arvidsson, who's been on the podcast and uh, been a co-host over and a big supporter of the show, uh, has got uh, some information about that. Hi, this is Chris Arvidsson. I want to talk to all the writers out there and visual artists and tell you about the Charlotte Art League's Ekphrastic Exhibition coming in March of 2023. We'll be pairing 15 writers with 15 visual artists put on an exhibition called Evolution of Words and Art. It's ekphrastic, which it means we're going to pair writers with artists and have the artists inspire our writers to create new words. A juror committee will pair selected writers with selected artists. And the idea is to examine the state of change that is constant in our world how we evolve within ourselves, our cultures, our society, even nature itself. Evolution of words and arts. The deadline for writers and artists is December the 1st. Please go to charlotteartleague.org to fill out your entry form. We're asking artists to submit by December 1, and also writers to submit a sample of their work that's been inspired by a piece of art. Come join us. It's going to be a great exhibit. CharlotteArtLeague.org or contact me, Chris Arvidsson, at 336-489-0066 for more information. All right, listeners, if you're a poet, uh, that sounds like a, a really cool opportunity um yeah you know check in with chris and uh, submit your material there and see what you can do um so we got opportunities nonfiction writers poets uh there's a lot out there yeah yeah we also had an opportunity coming up on our show that we wanted to share with you too um for the end of the year we're going to put together a holiday episode and we would love to hear about your um reading and writing resolutions for 2023 if you have any (laughs) any goals any kind of writerly or readerly new year's resolutions you know books you're looking forward to read or things you want to accomplish as a writer um you can also drop those in on our speak pipe page through the contact form on our website um or same thing you can drop them in on our social media or just send us an email um, and we're going to try to pull together some of those for our last episode of the year and share those along with our own resolutions for next year so we'd love to hear what you've got 
in the in the pipeline. And and we can also call them aspirations. You don't have to, mm-hmm. you know, if you if you're afraid to put it down in uh, in audio or in writing because you might not, you know, stick to it. Just yeah. just making an asp- <laughs> a New Year's aspiration. But uh, we're going to probably record that episode in mid December. Uh, so between now and then, start thinking uh, and you know, give us your thoughts. I mean, it's uh, we'll have a new year, 2023. Uh, we'll be thinking about things for the podcast, our own writing, uh, our own reading. So uh, you know, maybe you'll have some resolutions of your own or some aspirations of your own for what you want to do with your writing and reading life uh, for next year. And uh, we'd love to hear it from you so that uh, others can hear it and be inspired by your own uh, inspiration. Yeah, aspiration is a good way to put it. We're not going <laughs> to come after you in July and, and see how you're doing. Yeah, no, we're going to be taking notes. We're going to take notes and uh, check in on you to make sure yeah. that you've done it. Right? Hold you accountable. Uh, all right. We, uh, somebody was listening when we talked about making your 30-second uh, elevator pitches. Uh, author Gleg Naclario has uh, been on the podcast before, and uh, here's what he uh, is pitching to us with uh, his next book. Hi, I'm Greg Naclario, and I am not an author. Rather, I'm a storyteller. And in my first book, You Can't Make This Stuff Up, My Criminal Law War Stories, I share nine cases that I was involved in during my 40-year-plus career as a criminal law trial attorney. Some cases are sad, others are funny, but they all share one common denominator. They're all true. I've also been told the book is an easy, fun read, and I hope you enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, that's that's succinct, it's tight. You get mm-hmm. a good sense of what you're gonna, you know, you're gonna get when you read the book. And uh, Greg's first book was fun, uh, you know, interesting stories. And it's always nice when you read, you know, what's really true out there. Sometimes that that truth is stranger than fiction, and uh, oh, it makes yeah. for a good read. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure from you know your perspective too, being in the law profession, I'm sure you can tell right. us that he would have some great stories to tell. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, all right. Well, let's uh, let's dive into. Charlotte Litt's uh, two-minute tip uh, this week. Paul Reale is talking to us about using point of view to get in a character's head. And uh, let's listen in, then we'll, we'll chat about it. Hi, I'm Paul Reale from Charlotte Litt with a two-minute writing tip for Charlotte Readers Podcast. This tip answers the question, how do I get inside the head of a character, especially if that character is nothing like me, the writer? I'll answer with a tautology. You get inside the head of a character by getting inside the head of the character. What I mean by that is, you'll use the tool of point of view to make an exploration of character. One of the choices a writer always has to make is, which POV or which POVs from which to tell a story? That is, through whose eyes are we seeing? To whose thoughts are we listening? One of the ways a writer makes this determination is to try out different points of view. The Great Gatsby, for example, is told from Nick Carraway's point of view. He's the narrator. He spends the whole book trying to understand Gatsby. You're the writer. You maybe shouldn't wait that long to understand one of your central characters, or it's going to be a very messy first draft. A shorter route to uncovering your Gatsby is to write from his point of view. Write a scene, write a letter, write a dream, whatever you choose, and you'll know the character better. Maybe the best part of this is, You don't have to commit to anything. You don't have to use those scenes just because you wrote them. Consider them part of the discovery process that is every first draft. In the novel I'm writing now, I have a convicted murderer just released from prison. I'm going to kill off the killer, and readers weren't going to care. They might even cheer his demise. 
How can I make him sympathetic to the reader? Well, by first making him sympathetic to me, which I could only do by standing in his shoes and speaking in his voice. So here's your action step. Choose a character, which could be a real person if you're writing nonfiction, and write a scene or two from their point of view. Consider trying scenes both in the present day of the story and from the character's past. As a related tip, this is also how you'll begin to create well-rounded antagonists, even if they don't become POV characters in your stories. For more two-minute tips from Charlotte Litt, listen to beyond 300 episodes of this podcast or visit charlottelitt.org slash tips. All right. Well, thanks, Paul. Uh, thoughts, Sarah? I think that's a great tip. It's a good idea to, um, even if you're not planning on writing in a character's point of view, to still maybe do a little bit of pre-writing where you're in their point of view, um, either if you're trying to figure out what, what point of view to do the story in or just to get the, to know the character better. It can really help you to find their voice and figure out you know, their mannerisms and their thought processes. And even for screenwriters, it's something that I think is a good exercise because when you're writing a screenplay, you're kind of by default in this sort of third person point of view where the camera is, is watching everyone. Um, but I, I think it can be good as a screenwriter to do like a pre-writing exercise where you write a paragraph or a scene from a character's point of view and in, in their words. And that helps you kind of get their voice in, in your head. Um, so yeah, I think that's a really great idea. No matter what you're writing, it, it helps to bring the character to life for you. Yeah. And I think this is one area. Um, it certainly was for me when I started uh, writing uh, fiction, um, not really fully understanding the importance of or really the technique of point of view. I mean, mm -hmm. I'd been reading all my life and watching TV and movies, but, uh, you know, it never occurred to me when I sat down to write to think about, you know, who's going to be telling this story, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and I, you know, it took a lot of head hopping <laughs> and, and editors beating me with a whip, uh, <laughs> To make me realize, no, no, don't do that. That doesn't work. So, uh, picking a, picking a point of view, um, whether you're going to be first person or third person, and, and then that allows you, with third person close, to get into the head of the character, and first person to get in the head of the character. And it's through being in the head of the character that I think you can see things in novels that many times you can't see in film. Right, Sarah. Yeah, yeah, you can get into their head and into their motivations and their feelings in a much more intimate way. Um, and that's so true, that I think for a lot of writers, especially when they're first starting out, point of view is something that they don't necessarily, you don't think about it or understand it the same way just as a reader as you do when you're actually writing it. I know for me too, with my first novel, that was a real learning curve. Um, was It was just something I didn't even really think about because I was used to screenwriting where it's kind of a given that it's going to be from a certain perspective. And so I wrote my first novel in third person, I think because that is kind of the most traditional point of view. And so that's what I had read the most of over the years, even though um, in contemporary literature, I think it's becoming less and less common and first person is becoming a little bit more favored. Um, but actually, if I were to go back and rewrite that novel, I think I would probably do it in first person now. And I have written in first person since then and actually really enjoyed that sort of really close attention to the character's thoughts and being able to just be in that person's head and actually hear things through their words. Um, but it's something that you have to kind of train yourself to, to know how to do. And I think it's good to experiment with different points of view and mm -hmm. how close you want to be. And are you in just one person's head or do you hop heads a little bit in an intentional mm -hmm. way? <laughs> um, it's definitely a skill you have to learn. Yeah. And, and I do think that, uh, 
depending on the point of view, you said one is favored than the other, of course, you know, who says that? People up in New York or whatever. But anyway, the readers, yeah. <laughs> you know, if it's a good book, it can be told different ways. But there, we could spend a whole episode on this. But there are limitations, of course, uh, that come with choosing a particular point of view. If you're in first person, you're not going to be able to demonstrate what other people are thinking, mm-hmm. except through their words, you know, and their actions and things that they leave in their wake, <laughs> perhaps. Um, but in third person. Uh, you can jump into the head of the killer, you know, or, mm-hmm. or the antagonist or a couple of other people, and that's kind of fun to be able to, to jump around. Now, we just had Misha. How did we pronounce her last name, Sarah? I think it's Lazara. Lazara. Okay, I, I pronounced it wrong. Right. <laughs> Misha Lazara uh, on our, with us this last podcast, and we were talking about point of view mm-hmm. and how she broke, she said she broke a couple of rules, but broke them in a good way. And so I think to, you've got to know the rules be able to break the rules and and what she did was she inserted first person into a third person narrative with different chapters and and that's a technique I think that can actually bring you close to a couple of characters. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's a good example that there's no one right way to do it. You don't have to be in a certain person or you don't have to stay in the same person for the whole book. I've read a lot of books actually where they'll go between different characters points of view or maybe part of it is in first person, part of it is in third or second. Um, but it's important to be intentional about whatever you're doing with it and have sort of a, some sort of reasoning in your own head for why you're choosing the perspective that you're choosing. And also just to make it clear to the reader, like readers usually don't like it if they don't know what's going on or Mm -hmm. whose head they're in. Um, but Misha's book, Man-Made Constellations was a really good example of, of one where she does jump around somewhat from perspectives, but you always know whose head you're in, um, and there's kind of a logic behind it and why we're we're getting the story from that point of view. All right, next up, uh, we've got our last uh, big feature of the show. It's a, uh, it's a blog post uh, right after this. We have a newsletter called Beyond 300, and we'd love to have you sign up. This is where we share what's coming on the podcast, provide helpful links, and keep you updated on the podcast and the hosts. You can sign up at charlottereaderspodcast.com or the websites of the hosts. LandisWade.com, SarahArcherWrites.com, or SpellboundPublicRelations.com. And by the way, we won't spam you because that takes way too much time. All right, we're in Act 3, and uh, Jill Brazier, she's uh, a Charlotte romance author. Her title for her community blog that uh, you can find on the website if you'd like to read it as well is How Serial Fiction Reignited My Spark. Uh, tell us about Jill, Sarah. Yeah, so Jill, like you said, she's a romance writer. Um, she writes books that will tickle your funny bone, and she puts it, tingle your dot, dot, dot imagination. <laughs> <laughs> um, she says in her world, no one is safe from Cupid's arrow. Um, she talks a little bit about why she writes romance and says that she's always been drawn to love stories. Uh, she says when she was in middle school, she got a week of detention for writing a serial soap <laughs> opera about the relationships of her classmates, <laughs> um, which, according to her, was not exactly PG. I think that's a pretty pretty good reason to get detention. There are worse things a kid could be doing than writing. Mm-hmm. Um, years later, she's about to publish her sixth romance novel. Um, I think she has a pretty good following for her books. And she believes that the journey to finding love is the most important journey you will ever take. Um, so I'm definitely excited to hear her perspective on this. Yeah. Okay. So the post is how serial fiction reignited my spark. Uh, let's listen in. This is Jill Brashear, and this is How Serial Fiction Reignited My Spark. I never believed in writer's block until it came for me. When other writers talked about getting blocked, I scoffed at them. My muse was strong. 
I never had a shortage of ideas. Nope, I had the opposite problem. Too many of them. Then one day everything changed. I got stuck halfway through a manuscript with no idea how to fix it. I missed a deadline with my editor, then another. The complaints from fans started arriving in my inbox. I'd promised them a release. Where was it? Since I write romance, there are certain reader expectations that must be met. Some people complain that romance is formulaic, but that's the beauty of the genre. If a reader buys a romance novel, they know what they're getting. The storyline and characters might be different, but the beats are the same. The couple meets, falls in love, bump in the road, grand gesture, happy ending. I was stuck on the grand gesture. Suddenly, everything a hero could do to win back the love of his life seemed incredibly creepy. Love letters in the mailbox seemed like something a stalker would do. Dozens of roses reminded me of a funeral home. And let's not start with the serenade scene. I'd call the cops if a man parked himself outside my window with a speaker. So my manuscript languished while I struggled to think of a grand gesture that didn't make me cringe. Writing, which had always been my happy place, felt like a chore. My passion was gone. My spark had been extinguished and my creative juices dried up. How was I going to fix this? I needed to find my joy again, hopefully before I missed another deadline. After some serious soul searching, I remembered what I love about writing, the escape. My readers are busy moms who juggle work and family and don't have a lot of downtime. They want to be swept away from the carpool line on a romantic escape, meet a handsome book boyfriend who doesn't leave his towel on the bathroom floor, and experience the fizzy feeling of a first kiss. I strive to give my readers what they want. They are the reason I sit down at my desk to write every day. I crave the connection we share through the worlds I create. Suddenly, a fabulous idea took root in my mind. What if my readers and I created a romance together? We would embark on a journey of discovery similar to choose your own adventure books. The first thing I did was send out a newsletter asking my readers to vote on the first chapter. They chose the characters' names, their jobs, the location of their first meeting, and the trope. I wrote the chapter and sent it off to my newsletter subscribers. They loved it. My open rate skyrocketed, my click rate soared, and my spark reignited. Every month, I wrote another chapter exclusive for my subscribers. I made sure I only gave them choices I was comfortable writing and honored their votes no matter what. Even though I was dying to write a virgin hero, only 10% of my subscribers wanted to read about him. So I shelved the idea for later and stuck to their wishes. Not only did I smash through my writer's block, I also got to know my readers. The connection I so desperately needed was stronger than ever. The magic was back. I ended up with a 12,000 word novella set in the same town as my main series. Now I give it away as a reader magnet to gain more subscribers. It's also good for group promotions and Facebook ads. When the experiment was finished, I asked my readers if they wanted to see the novella fleshed out into a full-length book. The answer, a unanimous yes. Writing a chapter a month for my subscribers was easy and fun. It helped me break out of my slump and allowed me to gather valuable information about my ideal reader. My readers gave me the idea to have the heroine perform the grand gesture instead of the hero.
thanks to my readers, I ended up reworking the last book in my series that had given me so much trouble. Serial fiction saved me and my manuscript. I finally typed the best phrase in an author's vocabulary. The end. <laughs> well, there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, I love the connection between writing and marketing, uh, finding your readers. Uh, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I think she had some really great ideas in there. I mean, that's kind of like a writer's worst nightmare that you're under a deadline and you just get stuck <laughs> and you've got people like waiting for your book and you feel like you don't have ideas um, because there's nothing you can do to to force ideas or to force yourself to feel inspired or to be able to write something. Um, so it's, it's frustrating when you're in that place and you just feel like you don't know what to do. Um, but it's really clever that she figured out a way of getting herself out of that and almost kind of gave herself a prompt by reaching out to her readers and having them tell her like, okay, we want this type of hero, this type of heroine, this type of gesture, that sort of thing. And then she was able to read to write around that. Um, and obviously there's like you were saying that kind of marketing upside too, that she's generating that engagement with her newsletter. I could imagine you could do something like that on social media too, and reach out to readers. Um, I think sometimes people will offer that even as like a contest. They'll say, people can enter to um, have their name featured as a character in the next book or something like that. So reaching out to your, your readers for engagement like that, I think can also be a great way to inspire yourself with your writing. Um, so that's a really good idea. So next year, Sarah, should you and uh, Hannah and I write uh, about three podcasters who find themselves in peril, you know, and uh, <laughs> we could. We ask her, ask let her, people choose what happens to choose, us, <laughs> choose what happens to us, or at least put the obstacles in our way and, and yeah. we figure out how to get around them, you know, so, that would be fun. Uh, yeah, we try that. Uh, now I also think it's very brave on her part to, uh, to do this because, um, you know, when you get that kind of feedback from the readers um, and you write it and you put it out there, you're, you know, you still got to have some editorial control. You got to go back mm -hmm. and, Make sure it's so so she's creating work, but it sounds like it inspired her enough that, that she enjoyed doing it, you know, that she enjoyed getting yeah. it out there. Well, and she also said she made sure to not give options that she wasn't comfortable writing, right. <laughs> which right. is probably a key thing. You know, don't put it out there if you don't want people to actually choose it. Yeah. Are there virgin heroes out there, by the way? You know? I guess so. Actually, yes, I, <laughs> in I, romance? I, rem in romance? <laughs> I remember, so I, I don't actually read much, um, like true genre romance, but I remember for a, a podcast that I was on a couple of years ago, I read a book, um, that we were going to discuss, which was like a, a Christian romance. Um, mm -hmm. and it was the, the hero was like this cowboy billionaire who was like in his forties and still a virgin. <laughs> it was, okay. it was, it was interesting, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, there's definitely an audience for that, I guess. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, yeah, Jill, thank you for that, uh, for that post uh, on the website and for uh, sharing it with us in audio format on the podcast. It's, uh, mm -hmm. it's nice to, to get these, uh, you know, ideas and also to know that, uh, it, it worked for you and helped, uh, reignite uh, your spark. So uh, we're going to head into uh, Act 4 where, with our takeaways and what's coming next uh, right after this. Charlotte Readers Podcast is on social media and we'd love to have you follow and engage with us. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Charlotte Readers Podcast. Check us out. All right, uh, time for the takeaways. Uh, Sarah, what do you think? 
Um, I had a really fun time with our authors this episode. I think uh, Sophie's book was a great read and I enjoyed talking to her. Um, also got some great tips from Jill Bashir there at the end with her blog post. And I'm really looking forward to continuing to have readers um, and listeners pop in with their, their book recommendations, um, contests or community updates you want to share and the um, New, New Year's resolutions or aspirations for next mm. year. I think that's going to be really fun to hear what people have going on. Um, so yeah, I'm super excited to continue to get to know our audience that way. Yeah, and I'm never going to look at uh, a carpool line the same way again after hearing from uh, Jill about, <laughs> about what all the women in the carpool line are thinking they need yeah. to read. You know? So uh, that, that was good. Um, yeah, no, it's a great episode. It's uh, um, love hearing from very talented authors like uh, Sophie Cousins. That was a, a wonderful interview that you did. And uh, as you said, uh, getting people to pitch their books in the elevator pitch and uh, also getting good recommendations for books and uh, the tip from Charlotte Litt, um, the point of view, I said, you know, that's one of the very first things that I had difficulty with um, in writing. And I think it's a very important topic to revisit over and over again. So I like, I'm one of these kind of people that uh, the more times I hear something, the more, mm -hmm. you know, it sinks in. And that's kind of, yeah. kind of like, that's why I like also going to participate in uh, conferences, events where you go listen to other authors talk or we interview them and that kind of thing. Cause I might've heard it, but uh, maybe it didn't sink in like it should have. Right. Yeah. Well, and a lot of these writing topics, I think are kind of evergreen too. Like the idea yeah. of writer's block, for instance, is something that Jill addressed in her blog post today. I know we've had a two minute tip about the idea of writer's block. Like it's how you, what is it? How do you get out of it? It's something that you can kind of talk about over and over again. And every writer has a different perspective and it's always interesting to hear their journeys. And I think you can get something helpful out of their, their tips and their experiences every time. So mm. that's why these discussions are so much fun. Yeah. And I, I liked uh, Seth Irvin's uh, solution to writer's block. Just kill off a couple of characters. He says mm -hmm. the, the story opens right up. Yeah. <laughs> that's like the game of Thrones solution, right? Just exactly. kill someone and yeah, the, the <laughs> red the story wedding, just kill off 30 people. And then suddenly everybody goes, ah, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Forces you to create some new ones. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Sarah, what's coming next? Um, so next time we're going to have another guest co-host with us, um, Grace Salmon, who is an author and a radio show host. So I think she'll have a lot of fun stuff to share. Um, we're also going to discuss her multi-generational women's fiction novel, The Eves. And we're going to have a blog post from Tom Stewart getting his irreverent take on why writing rules can't be trusted. And of course, we'll have more book recommendations and writing tips and community updates from, you know, coming to the end of the year and the holidays. Um, so lots of good stuff. All right, uh, listeners, thank you for uh, spending some of your valuable time with us uh, and uh, read on and write on. <laughs>